Hello and welcome back to another episode of Tactics Reviewed, a companion podcast episode to the Monster vs. Monster live streams over on the D&D CR Exposed YouTube channel. I think that's a little bit of a better intro for, for what I'm doing here. Uh, as per the last few episodes, it was all just hard numbers and what was going on uh, numbers-wise and percentages and, and what have you. And while to me that's pretty interesting... I don't know how many people themselves are interested in the hard numbers, especially since you would require to watch the live stream itself just to see what exactly is going on and to understand, you know, the components of the battle that I'm discussing and talking about. So instead, I think I'm just going to look at some of the interesting points and the, maybe the slip ups or other issues that were going on with the battle themselves. And... You know, when we look at what we what we have going on here for these battles, uh, and if you haven't seen this battle, definitely please go and see it. The link should be in the description for the video, and it's on the YouTube channel there for D&D CR Exposed as a live stream with the Yuan-Ti versus Lizardfolk. Now, the idea for this battle was that, you know, it's set in the jungles, as it should, because, you know, Yuan-Ti generally are either going to be in jungles or dense forests as far as I'm aware of, as well as lizard folk. And this particular episode was designed by one of my typical, or one of my usual viewers, a person by the name of Clawpaw, which is fantastic. He is always there watching all the live streams and suggested another one of these encounters. So we set this one up, well, I set this one up for, you know, the jungle area on a temple ziggurat, which was kind of a fun scenario and it looks like at least with the CR draft of around 15 because I had to manipulate the numbers in, in such a way to get a, an even CR battle here that uh you know the UNT were maybe summoning up and creating a new abomination I'm not too familiar with the UNT practices so if that doesn't exactly follow how UNT normally bring about abominations We'll just go with the idea that that's what they were doing for this particular instance. And the lizard folk were warned to this instance by an, a spirit bone naga that is an, a typical enemy of the yuan So the whole setup for this particular match, in my mind anyways, was that the yuan are making an abomination. The spirit naga, the spirit bone naga, excuse me, warned them about it, even though the spirit bone naga themselves is typically... A lawful evil creature but the whole idea of the enemy of my enemy is my friend there's a typical a very tentative alliance between the lizard folk and the spirit bone naga and who knows maybe we'll have an encounter later on where the spirit bone naga uh, double cross the lizard folk and we have just a fight between those two because well uh, in typical senses the spirit bone naga like i said i believe is lawful evil so they're always looking for some way to get the better uh the better deal out of everything that's going on for their own advantage. So in this instance of the battle, we had five Yuan-T versus roughly 10 lizard folk, technically nine with the 10th being the spirit bone Naga. So it was a, a one to two odds in favor of the lizard folk versus the Yuan-T. And the Yuan-T had in the center, the abomination, and then two purebloods and two uh, Malazans, I guess technically version 5. It doesn't really make too much of a difference between the, the versions 1 through 5, so I just went with 1 or 5 that seemed to make the most sense and easiest to use in the encounter. Now, 
as some of you may know, this the pure uh, excuse me, the pure bloods are more magical based, so they do have some magic casting capabilities. While the abomination and the malazans are primarily melee focused, they do have range capabilities, and during this battle, they do use the range capabilities pretty well. And it looked like eventually the uh, the lizard folk were going to be overrun by just the the abomination himself. Yeah, the abomination was doing the majority of the work, especially with that poison-tipped arrow that it kept firing off. There were some instances also with the lizard folk where we had six standard lizard folk, so they were they were basically the grunt troopers of this encounter, running up the temple to try and stop the encounter with a lizard folk queen or lizard queen as they're known in the monster manual, and two lizard folk shaman as well as the spirit bone naga. And now the Spirit Bone Naga is primarily a wizard, so I used the Spirit Bone Naga in that sense, but because of the cramped nature of the map itself and how there is just a 10-foot wide staircase for every level, and the map itself has four levels to the top of the ziggurat, where the Abomination and all of the Yuan-T were at finishing the ritual when the lizard folk showed up from the east of the map, uh, there wasn't really too much that the... Naga could do, unfortunately, and if I played it in such a sense that the Naga didn't want to trip up the lizard folk right away and use the lizard folk to the best of their abilities, then I wasn't going to have the Naga attack the the lizard folk as well. So that was one restriction I put on the, the Naga. After that, uh, it was just unfortunately the Naga trying to do things with all the lizard folk getting in the, in the way. So. Initially, the Naga got a lightning bolt off, which hit the Abomination and one of the the uh, Malazans for one round. I think it was like right in the first round. And then after that, it tried to do a charm person on the Pureblood because the Purebloods were the only ones that were technically humanoid and able to be affected by the, uh, the charm person spell. The other three were monstrosities, the Malazan and the Abomination. After that, uh, the... The shamans were also uh, spellcasters, and I had one shaman primarily focusing on conjuring animals, which was pretty much key to this whole battle. <clears throat> Excuse me. If it wasn't for the shamans and the ability to conjure animals, I'm pretty sure this match, spoiler alert, would have ended with the <clears throat> Yuan-T beating out the, uh, the lizard folk here. So that was one thing right off the bat. Uh, the other shaman I had initially using a fog cloud to help give the the lizard folk calm or cover from the arrow fire but with one lucky shot from the abomination on the top of the tower through the clouds and hitting you know hitting the shaman where they last knew it was the shaman's fog cloud dropped pretty quickly now i guess i should have did some kind of a 50 50 chance or something to have the abomination be able to even see where the the shaman was i mean it depends on how you really want to uh, how do you really want to break down the rules here because technically the fog cloud had total obscurement, completely obscured the battlefield. So the the uh, the, sh or the the abomination should have had a an extremely low chance to hit the shaman, and that's one of the wiggle room spots with battle maps because you have a general idea of where you know the shaman was and where it could be. But there's such a wide range, you know, I would probably want to next time count up the total squares that the fog cloud could hit and then 
maybe roll randomly of what space the abomination or the attacker thinks the that the target is going to be in the fog cloud and then from there you know maybe roll a d20 if it's 16 spaces or however big the the radius of the sphere is for the fog cloud and then decide from there how to best adjudicate the rules and trying to figure out where precisely the the shaman went to in you know theater of the mind the rules and to me at least are a lot looser and you could just say all right the abomination is going to try and attack the shaman the shaman's in the fog cloud you have disadvantage on the attack not not even taking into consideration oh well where is the shaman are you even hitting the space where the shaman's going to be at that's one of the things i think older editions of D&D could have come in handy here i know for in fact listening to a lot of the glass cannon podcast and their playthrough of pathfinder first edition there is a role that you have to make for checks to shoot into the darkness or if you don't know where a particular target is and this gives you the chance to totally avoid the the shot first anyways so that could have been a really handy tool but dnd 5e is simplistic it, you know you want to make sure that it's accessible for everyone to play so when there's too many rules, it really bogs the game down. And there probably could have been some kind of an, an obscurement rule and roll, like a D100, and say, oh, totally obscured, you have, you know, a 20% chance to hit. Lightly obscured, you know, 50% chance to hit. I don't, I don't know. I, I like the idea, but I don't want to make 5e too cumbersome with more rules. So this one was really kind of tricky and could have used a little extra, I think for shooting into obscured areas besides the fact of just disadvantage. And speaking of disadvantage, it really ranges in the bonus, the the technical bonus of anywhere from almost plus one to plus five or even beyond, depending on how the dice roll. Uh, there's no real, there's no real guidance besides, you know, blood frenzy for a monster trait that says, okay, when the monster has advantage all the time after hit points are low, they have a, technically a plus four to their attack bonus. Fog Cloud could technically give as high as a plus five AC bonus in theory, like an effective AC bonus because of the disadvantage. But for <laughs> this particular shaman who was throwing down the Fog Cloud and then just got hit and annihilated with that poison-tipped arrow from the Abomination, it was an even... A question of did it get a bonus ac doesn't matter because one shot and it took out the shaman real quick uh some other some other things that kind of slowed the game down unfortunately was conjuring the animals and i constantly forgot to have the conjured animals take their turn after the shaman i didn't want to play the rule of oh well we'll have all of these conjured animals roll initiative as well and then they'll take their turns i was just like quick and easy just like you know the new Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Ranger Pets, and all the subsequent pets, they just go right after, or I guess in some cases, right before the the partner. So for the ranger, for instance, you could have the pet or the companion go before or after the ranger. So the idea was that the shaman was just going to take their turn, and then the conjured animals would go afterwards. And the initial conjured animals were flying snakes. Now, without really metagaming, Technically, the shamans or the lizard folk could have known that the UNT were immune to poison damage. So bringing in flying snakes was a maybe a mistake on my behalf 
because the flying snake does one point of damage and then a load of poison damage. And I was kind of laughing to myself initially when I brought them in, thinking, oh yeah, this is going to be a whole ton of damage. Let's see what happens. And then sure enough, every one of the UNT had poison uh, immunities. And the, the flying snakes were the, just there really for the distraction, which still helped. You know, having the, all of those uh, flying snakes on top of the UNT with, you know, poison-tipped arrows or just bows and arrows to begin with shooting down at the lizard folk still helped when I remembered to put the disadvantage on the attack. But I was also giving advantage for the height difference as well. So, you know, it helped the lizard folk with some survivability by giving just straight rolls and, the, you know, the disadvantage countering advantage. So that was helpful and leveled the playing field a little bit. But <laughs> the flying snakes only have a few hit points. I think it was total five. So in most cases, the flying snakes were done in one swing of a scimitar from any of the uh, any of the the UNT up top. But then, after all of the flying snakes were defeated, that same shaman who was hanging around and, and survived a couple attacks, especially one from the abomination themselves, summoned up constrictor snakes. And I knew this one was going to be an interesting switch and change in the encounter because well when constrictor snakes constrict they grapple the target but not only do they grapple they also restrain and when you restrain something they have disadvantage on all attacks and attackers get advantage on the attack so this gave the lizard folk a huge advantage especially when the constrictor snakes constricted the abomination into in the center of the temple and the funny part was the abomination himself or themselves never moved from the top of that tower as well which was hilarious to me but anyways so that was the big shift right there the the UNT were doing work and then once the constrictor snakes and since they're CR one quarter monsters, I was able to bring eight of them into the temple and just totally dominate the UN or the UNT yeah. It was pretty much game over by that point. It was remembering to take the snake's turns and then keep constricting, restraining, and getting advantage on the attackers. And then basically, I had a cutoff point. You know, at this point, by round four to five, one of the Malazins finally fell. The purebloods were constricted and couldn't really do too much themselves. And then the uh, the Abomination was doing work, but... It was pretty much game over at that point, constantly being restrained by more and more uh, constrictor snakes. And then the queen was finally able to, to rush into battle and start skewering. And thanks to Clawpaw, who also reminded me about the skewer's ability to give temporary hit points, the queen was able to survive a good couple mighty blows. And at the, even at this point, too, I had the abomination basically just ignoring the constrictor snakes because he was or, you know, the, the Abomination was just so massive, it basically didn't really care about the Constrictor Snakes and just wanted to kill the Queen off. And that was kind of the idea of this encounter. If the Queen was defeated, or if the Abomination was defeated, the other side was basically routed, or would give up. And I, at one point, because I forgot about the temporary hit points from the Skewer ability on the Queen, I thought the Lizard Folk had lost. But then I was reminded, went back, and it took a little bit to backtrack and get Foundry working properly. I got the, uh, I believe, the correct hit points back in place for the Queen, and she survived two rounds of attacks from the, the Abomination themselves. So 
once the abomination was was defeated, I had one one dead Malazan, Yuan T Malazan defeated. One was escaping, trying to flee for its life, and then the two pure bloods were basically constricted by the snakes. Once everything was done there, the I just ended the encounter and considered that the pure bloods were now prisoners of the lizard folk, and they were taking them back to their village or town, having defeated the abomination. Didn't get a chance to stop the ritual, even though I never intended for the lizard folk to be able to stop the ritual. They just got there uh, late, and the, the ritual had finished bringing in this abomination. And now we have successfully, you know, one wizard lizard folk that won the encounter, and they have a spirit bone naga that may be an issue later on. So who knows? There might be a, you know, a, a live stream event where... Like I said earlier, the the spirit bone naga maybe recruits some other, finds some other spirit bone or guardian nagas and uh, betrays the lizard folk because lawful evil. Why not? Anyways, that was just some of the stuff that, you know, I felt were issues. The lizard folk weren't too, you know, I, I, I one of the things I should have done right off the bat with the first two lizard folk that had died was using the walls of the levels of the ziggurat to their advantage. I didn't do that until after the first two had died because the first two just charged right up the the ramp and got picked off real fast by the abomination and the other uh, malisons that were shooting down with their arrows. So that was another key thing too, using the environment to advantage for the lizard folk since they were charging up. I had them, you know, if they were waiting to move up, I would have them on the dodge action and then moving next to the wall and giving them three quarters cover because, you know, they'd be laying flat against the wall. So it was almost to the point of they shouldn't have even been allowed to be targeted and they couldn't be complete targets. But because of, you know, the five foot square and everything, who knows? Uh, they're not soldiers or anything. But that was just another thing I wanted to add in there about some of the tactics for the lizard folk. And the Naga, unfortunately, even though they're a wizard, didn't really get too many good attacks except for that first lightning bolt. The Naga ended up just using their frostbolt a few times on, you know, one of the purebloods that the Naga could see, and that was about it. So the real MVP of this game was, uh, I'd say, Ijerto, the lizard folk shaman that was summoning and conjuring all of those animals and really shifted the, the tide of battle because eventually it went from, let me see here, it, it was a one to, one to two ratio and technically should have been in favor of the, the lizard folk right off the bat, but because of how strong the, uh, the abomination is, I kind of felt like the UNT should have won that encounter. But, you know, once we included eight more CR one quarter, you know, snakes that can restrain, it went from, you know, how many attacks was it? Technically, we could have upwards of three for the uh, the abomination and then two each for the purebloods and the malisons. So we're looking at eight, nine, ten, eleven there. So we have eleven attacks for the, the UNT. And then for our lizard folk, we have uh, six lizard folk with two attacks each. So that's 12. All right. Already we are one over the action economy. We've already succeeded or surpassed the, the Yuan T in action economy. And then we have the Naga. So that's 13. Our queen, 14. And then the shaman depends on how you look at what they can do. They only have generally one attack. So we're looking at, what, uh, 15 total? And then if both shamans were to conjure animals, which I limited myself, that would have been overkill. Having, you know, 16 giant 
const- well, not giant, but constrictor snakes slithering around the temple would have been absurd and just too time consuming. Uh, you know, we could have had anywhere up to, you know, uh, an extra 16 on top of 15 or 16. So we had what, like 32, 33 actions possible. It's no wonder the, the UNT lost. It was just inevitable. So anyways, that is my post-battle, you know, uh, tactics reviewed episode for the UNT versus Lizard Folk from the YouTube channel DDCR Exposed and the live stream of Monster vs. Monsters. I really am enjoying doing these videos. I can't look. I'm looking forward to the next one. And I think the next one I might do, which was requested on the Discord, probably uh, Mind Flayers versus uh, Gith the Gith. Maybe Gith Yankee? I don't know. We'll see what happens there. I have another one person that's re- been requesting dragons versus giants, and I don't really know what I'm going to do for that one, because dragons shouldn't really land. So either the, the giants are just going to be hucking a whole lot of boulders, or they're going to have some kind of catapults. In essence, I like to have just the monsters using their abilities as they are, so you know, if it comes down to it, then the giants would be just hucking boulders, and they would have an unlimited quantity. But anyways, those are just some rambling thoughts here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tactics Reviewed Monster vs. Monster live stream on my YouTube channel. Hopefully you'll be able to stop by sometime and check out a video. If not, they're always there to watch later on as a video on demand and, uh, you know, see what the excitement's all about. Thank you so much for listening once again. And this is me, Andrew, as always, asking, are your encounters even rated? Thanks, and I will see you next time.